It's the best of season one. Welcome to the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. This is not Sarah Spencer. It is producer Jay filling in while our Hawks beat reporter takes some much-needed time off. But we still want to keep bringing you content during the offseason. And one of the things we were very proud of during year one of this podcast was the insight and analysis we were able to get from all of our guests, the players, the front office, and the broadcasters to all give you a little more access to what goes on with the Hawks. So today, we're going through some of the highlights of the best stories we've heard, including John Collins, Kevin Herter, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Clint Capella, Dominique Wilkins, and much more. The Hawks Report is presented by Emory Healthcare, the official healthcare provider of the Atlanta Hawks. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, don't forget to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we have to start with our premiere episode as we look back from MLK Day with John Collins and the first question that Sarah asked him. I want to talk about a little bit of last year just to get some context, but I actually kind of have a an off-the-beaten-path one for you real quick, which is, no, don't worry, it's fun. Uh, when did you decide, what was the moment that you decided, I'm going to put this dunk, dunking on Joel Embiid on a T-shirt? Yeah, you know, I, I think I may have told this one other, one other time, but Scotty, um, you know Scott Cunningham, yes. our, our, you know, legendary photographer. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, he came to me, uh, before games, uh, was it game seven? Um, I think game six was when you did the dunk. Yes. But one thing yes, I wanted right. to ask about is the turnaround time yes. to get it to game seven. That's like two days. That's like very quick. Yeah. So again, that's why I'm shouting out my guy, Scotty C, because he held me down and he, he actually texted me before the game and I missed his text message. He wanted me to wear it before the game. Oh. And that would have, oh. yeah, that would have feel like sparked up a little bit more, you know. Tension before game seven. That's a little premature. Yeah, I didn't want to give it away too early, right? Mm-hmm. So it ended up working beautifully to where we win game seven in, you know, historic fashion. And we come into the locker room. And he's like, dang, Johnny. He calls me John. He's like, dang, Johnny. I was trying to hit you before the game and give you the shirt. And, you know, and sometimes how Scotty speaks to you, you just, you know, you don't know what he's be talking about sometimes. I'm like, what you talking about, my guy? Because, I, like I said, I didn't see the text message. Mm-hmm. So he just pulls out the shirt and he's like, hey. Uh, you know, I think you should wear this right now. I mean, it's a perfect timing. And I and like and it you know, Scotty has great ideas and it was just a perfectly timed moment where he had the shirt printed for me, had it ready for me after the game. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I just decided to wear it at post game conference. I figured why not? Perfect moment for us to, you know, celebrate, maybe just just rub it in just a little bit. <laughs> um, because, you know, I had to get mine back. Joel had got me before too. So I just wanted to, you know, in all good fun and competition, just um you know, I felt like it was cool. Mm-hmm. Is that your favorite dunk that you've ever had? I feel like so. I feel like maybe not some my favorite, but mm-hmm. meaningful in terms of, like I said, you know, 
high high stakes playoff moment. Joel's a hell of a player. We sort of had a little bit of you know of a competitive you know, competitive whatever you call it. I don't have no issues with Joel, but competing against each other, you know we. <laughs> We're going to find some to... Some healthy to, competition. Yes. And so, you know, all that good stuff going into it just makes for, a, you know, uh, a great show. Now, one of our most widely shared interviews is with Bogdan Bogdanovich, who gave us some great perspective on the transition that European players go through. This is from episode eight. What was that like adjusting to coming, you know, when you come to America and then you're, you know, you're living here, you know, it's, it's, your, it's your day to day. How different yeah. is it? And what did you go through? It helped me a lot to learn about myself. You know, I think the American culture is all about learning yourself. Hmm. Uh, that's what I can see. <laughs> that we're into ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's good. Yeah. It's good because um, you don't like to waste time. I think in Europe, uh, we like to waste time and we enjoy it. We really enjoy it. And I enjoy it. When I'm in Europe, I like to waste my time. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. like to sit and... Go with one guy on coffee, another guy with tea, friend, family. I just like to see people and talk about what happened before. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, how I got used to the American culture, I, I realized how much of the work you, you're putting in, in. It's not just a sport in every different areas, you know, like, you know, I met a lot of random people. They, they do different kind of jobs and they have the same, like, you know, hustle. They have the same mindset. I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna in America. You know, yeah, yeah. In Europe, it's more like wait, wait till your time will come. You know, you gotta learn. It's slow. It, it, that's how it goes. Like you got time. There's not so much change here. Oh, one day you are, um, I don't know, doctor, and three days later he's a YouTube celebrity. Pop, like he goes, <laughs> right. he makes money from YouTube. He quits on, you know. That's how it goes here. But right. uh, more opportunities and. That's what uh, that that was like hardest adjustment for me off the court, you know, to see all that like throwing at you all this stuff, you know, uh, like taking, the fast paced. Yeah, yeah, taking care of taxes. Let's say having the tax guy for you, you know, being on him, being on a call with him once in a while. That's something new in my life, you know. It was uh, all new new things for me, really, and um, I didn't know nothing about it. You know, because in Europe, your team take care of the taxes. Mm-hmm. So here, uh, it's, it's all like you need, to, you don't pay your agent in Europe as well. Here, you pay your agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, you pay whatever you need, you pay for it. If it's not like team related or, you know, if team is not covering that for you. Mm-hmm. In Europe, it's more like when you're working there, they kind of take care of it, but it's like slower. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's completely different. So mm-hmm. it t- took me a while to adjust to it. So basically, we're just very much in a rush over here. Yeah, yeah. which is, I mean, there's Nothing for me. Wrong I'm with trying. It. You know, it's I'm trying strokes. to find. Yeah, I'm trying to find the perfect balance in between. Yeah, yeah. That was what I was gonna ask. Is if have you become more like a little bit like that? Because I yeah. mean, I, I'm sure you can't help it being immersed yeah, yeah, yeah. in it. But then, like, if you if you go home, do you go right back to? You know, I'm not I, saying I don't have no one to go on coffee with, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes I go by myself. <laughs> right. right, right. Uh, because people are busy, right. you know, and uh, they're really busy. They're really working something. They're really like, okay, one hour I'm going to study this. And they really do that. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, when I was that mindset back, you know, um, me, younger me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll quit learning something you know and caring about a future i'm going 
I'm going to enjoy coffee time. You yeah. know, two hours coffee time. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> more fun than uh, learning something, you know. Right. But here, you know, people, I think even the the people, they come over, you know, in the United States, they want to prove something. They want to, mm-hmm. you know. Um, like people I come see here my, with a goal in mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You come here to to work. You don't have, come here to enjoy, you know, and you you take that as that. Now, Bogey, of course, is not the only Hawks player from overseas, which is why he and Clint Capella have become good friends from episode 10. I don't know if you remember, or maybe you guys are still doing it, but Bogey, when he was helping you with your free throws, going around to all the different baskets. Yeah. I thought that was, like, watching that, I was like, this is like a movie, watching this. Like, going to all the, yeah, because, like, it was just cool to see the friendship there. Uh, Like, of course, you guys are teammates. Of course, there's basketball. Of course, it's a business. But you guys really seem like good friends. You yeah, know, no, so we like, are. What is, we it, are. what is your bond with him? We like? are. No, it's really. Uh, I mean, since the first game, first day I saw him here, uh, he came. He came to my house, and we just. I don't know. He's like that connection. I don't know. It's because probably from Europe or something like that. That connection was uh, immediate and always as uh, easy. Uh, and uh, it's always yeah. He's a guy that I always see on vacation or wherever. We always. We always see each other, so uh, I just guess that we, we definitely are more than teammates. <laughs> right, right. Have you guys ever talked about, like, how different – because I know both of you guys obviously came from Europe, mm-hmm. you know? Has it ever been a topic of conversation, you know, like what it's like, how different it is in America, whether it's the NBA or just just culturally too, probably? Yeah, no, we talked about it because I remember we, we, we were on the same draft because we were sitting by each other. I remember him. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we talked about that. We talked about how different it is, like playing in Europe and playing uh, in the U.S. Uh, we talked about all those differences, uh, sharing it in the locker room, actually. And, uh, and uh, yeah, we talked about so many stuff, like about, about life, about, about choices to make, about, about everything. It's really like, you know, how, what, how you, the kind of conversation you have with your friend. So any, any subject, we really, we really talk about it. In episode four, we learned that Kevin Herter has got more than a couple nicknames. I knew, obviously, about the Kayvon nickname. I knew, obviously, regular name is Kevin. I did not know if you have a rough game, it dips down to Kelvin. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? <laughs> there's there's a lot of nicknames. There's a lot. There's, uh, you know, Kelvin is It's definitely that's not one of your better games. It's Kelvin. Uh, a decent game is Kevin, and the best games are, are Kayvon, and it's... Just kind of like it's it's a running joke that's in the gym, and it was something that it started a couple of years ago when I was a rookie with DeAndre Bembry, Torian Prince, and as new guys have come in and out, and um, you know JC and Trey and, and mm-hmm. guys like that who have been constant, and now D Hunt here for a couple of years. It's uh, it's a nickname that's caught on and stayed, especially amongst most of the coaches. I would think that's motivation to never have an off game because then you dip down to Kelvin. It's that's, funny. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's the same, too. It's funny on, on Twitter and Instagram and that stuff after games. And, you know, you have a good game and it's like everybody knows, like, oh, this was a Kayvon game. And mm-hmm. um, for me, it's kind of funny. It's definitely one of those things that um, now I've come to expect and you have a good game and it's the Kayvon game seven, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Oh, yeah, 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 against uh, Philly. Right. So it's, it's funny, just the, the different things that fly out there. Fans are creative and funny. I put a hint out there of who I was going to have next on the podcast, and all I did was a Red Velvet Cupcake gif, and everyone was like, oh my gosh, it's Kevin Herter coming 
<laughs> so that's definitely endeared you to fans, I feel like, and just Atlanta overall. But there hasn't been much Kelvin lately. It's mm-hmm. been, it's we'll been... keep that. We don't need to start that. So for all the people listen, we can leave that. We can leave <laughs> that inside the gym. That's between that's between <laughs> listeners of this podcast, <laughs> producer right. Jay, me and Kevin. And he also took us through the process of a contract extension. Going into your contract extension talks and all that, I mean, I, I know a lot of that is handled by, you know, agents and front office stuff, but what was your, what were your kind of expectations? Like, did you think, okay, we're definitely going to get something done? Like, taking the temperature of it, what was your mindset with it going into that whole uh, situation? You know, I don't really know how it was all going to go down. Obviously, it was my first time through that process, mm-hmm. and you know, coming off so much success, you know, as a team last year, I knew that, you know, I knew I wanted to be here. I knew that in some ways, you know, I could see that, not that there was unfinished business, but, you know, it was something that I want to be a part of here moving forward, a part of this core and part of something that was building that, you know, hopefully year after year, we're, we're in the mix trying to contend for a championship. And, um, you know, it wasn't something that you know, I was seeking of going somewhere else. And so I was always motivated to stay here and get something done and uh, was, was, Hopefully, uh, you know, the team was on the same page as I was. And, you know, really from the start of, I forget what, what the official start date is, but it was it was the start of when we could start talking. Mm-hmm. You know, my agent and Travis and Tony had a great conversation about how they were motivated to get something done. And, you know, we we're going to be talking a lot over the next couple of weeks. And, you know, Trey got his done really early. JC got his done. And uh, Clint got his done pretty early. So it all felt like they're committed to bringing everyone back and, and running this back. And, uh, and then the business side of it happens. You know, mm-hmm. it really felt like for a couple months we were kind of stuck at a number, and you know, neither side was really comfortable. You know, where it was at, and uh, for a while there was not that I ever thought it wasn't going to get done, but it was one of those things like I was prepared to go into the season without a contract, with you know, playing into my next deal and, and going to the end of this season and figuring it out. Um, There's something I was prepared to do, but obviously didn't want to, and. Um, you know, time, it's funny how it works. You get to the last couple of days and then both sides kind of start scrambling and you want to get something done. And it seems like that's how the whole week, it seems like tra- the trade trade deadline, it seems like, oh, I'll think about it at 1130 or something. Mm. You know, that it seems like that's how it all is. It is. And that's exactly how it went down. You know, we didn't come up with the final number till about, you know, I was signing the sheet about 40 minutes before the deadline. <laughs> right. They're trying to rush, say, hey, we need to fax this in at the NBA. <laughs> we need to get it done. And and I'm like, man, we've we've been sitting on this for three months now. Right, and uh, a lot of hurry up and wait. Right. So it was. I think both sides the whole time were motivated to get it done. It was just coming to a number that that we were both comfortable with, and um, luckily we did. We also got to know a lot more about Delon Wright and growing up in a basketball family in episode three. You've got like a basketball family too, right? Yes. Like with your brother and everything. What was that like growing up with that? Uh, well, we we played three sports growing up, so oh. um, we were busy football, baseball, and basketball. Um. Once I got into high school, yeah, around high school, that's when he, you know, was drafted to the, to the Heat. Um, so that's when I really like knew that I could make it. When I seen him, you know, I was like, I grew up with this dude, and he made it to the NBA. Is like, I have a good chance of making it now. How how much older is he? Six years. Okay, okay. So was it a situation where you knew you could do it because you were, you know playing like one-on-one versus him or was he a little bit older and that was not quite yeah he used to beat me bad uh, <laughs> he cut me no slack um, but it was just like you know if you see somebody in your household you see this the process they went through mm-hmm. you, I just felt like I was going like it was I you know I don't know it's being naive but um you know once I see him <laughs> well, get clearly it wasn't naive it wasn't it. <laughs> I, I guess that would that's what gave me the confidence but um once I seen you know him make it like he went from 
uh, like pretty much a nobody. And then in one year he blew up. So once I seen that, I was like, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to the NBA. What did you learn from like his experience, watching him go through everything he went through and like just the process and like the draft process and never all that craziness. What did you learn from that that helped you in your own journey? Um, It's hard to just, I always say this like, oh, I, it wasn't nothing that he told me or it was just me just picking up things with not, me and not even knowing. Um, mm -hmm. So you know, I just picked up on so much that I probably couldn't even put it into words. Like it just, it just became part of my life. Uh, so just seeing him, uh, you know, grind and work hard. I just, you know, I have somebody to look up to and uh, he also guided me through that process. Mm, that's good to have. Yeah, definitely good. This is the Hawks report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze. Tropical beach. An air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I do want to thank all the subscribers to the AJC and AJC.com. It is what makes all of this possible. Now, if you're not a subscriber, you can go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast and your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That is subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. We also had a chance to sit down with Dominique Wilkins during Season 1 who was named the league's 75th anniversary team. And naturally... We talked about dunks. This is from episode 20. I actually have a, a funny question to ask you to start off, which is that a few weeks ago, we had Lauren Jabara on the podcast, obviously Hawk sideline reporter, and she told a funny story about you that when you did the dunk contest, you didn't actually rehearse your dunks. You just like went out and did it. Is that true? Absolutely true. Absolutely. I didn't work on those dunks. Neither did Michael. Neither did Dr. J. None of us, you know, in those days – we did dunks, um, basically we were doing in games. So we didn't have to work on it. Everything I did in the dunk contest was spontaneous. Never, just ad-libbed? Yeah, I never worked on any of it. I mean, it was dunks that I knew I could execute because I've done them in games, of, you know, and pickup games. So it was, it was nothing for me to, to try to attempt those dunks. Was there ever a moment in midair where you're, like, changing your mind? or you're like <laughs> Many times, you know. But maybe I put a little extra flair on this particular dunk, and maybe I do a little, give it a little more power on that dunk. So it, it, just, it just varied as I, you know, went on in the contest. And like I said, a lot of those dunks I thought of as the contest went on. And so it was, it was fun for me. When did dunking become kind of because obviously it kind of became a little bit of your identity part of it knowing that you're, you're so good at that was it like that from when you were a little kid yeah but you know the thing obviously I tell, a probably smaller yeah, dunk, dunking <laughs> was a part of my game it mm -hmm. really wasn't my game mm -hmm. and you know because the way I dunk people thought that every shot I took was a dunk because they were so loud when you did do that I mean because they were aggressive yep but I've had games where I've had 40-plus points and, and have a single dunk. Mm -hmm. You know, I was a scorer, plain and simple. I was a flat-out scorer, but I used dunking as a tool for intimidation to back big guys up. Mm -hmm. And um, 
but again, when you when you go attack the rim that way, people don't look at the other parts of your game. When you get categorized as a great athlete, a great dunker, they forget about the rest part of your game. You know, I, I could shoot the three. I had I was a mid-range nightmare for a lot of guys and um, run the floor, played inside, out. I mean, every aspect of the game I did. And Nick also gave us the origin story of his nickname. I think a lot of people are familiar with your nickname, Human Highlight Film, but I, th- I don't think a lot of people know how you got that nickname. Yeah. How did you get it? I didn't get it in the pros. And I didn't you got get it young, didn't and you? And I didn't get it in college. It was in high school. I got it in 11th grade. A guy named Howard Garfinkel, who was the director of five-star basketball camp at Homestead, Pennsylvania. One of the top camp in the United States at that time. All of the great high school players went to this camp. And I scored 42 points in the All-Star game at the end of the week. And they couldn't tell how I was scoring the points. My game was kind of unorthodox. I was scoring different ways. And they said, you know what? We just going to call him the human highlight film. And when I first heard that name, I hated it. Why? <laughs> I'm like, I was young, stupid. Yeah. But, but you know, I said to myself, as I got older, I said, wait a minute. I can make some money off this name. Oh, there you go. That <laughs> so, changes things. So it stuck. Yeah. And, um, and now I love it. I mean, but it, it speaks to who I am. Now, the Hawks have one of the most forward-thinking executives in the league, which is their CEO, Steve Coonan, who told us in episode 18 how he sees the fan experience changing. What do you see as the the future of fan engagement? And that could even touch, you know, how people view games. Um, I think I've seen some people talk about, I mean, you know, a lot of like younger people now are more on, and this isn't even like my generation, this is even younger of, you know, TikTok and like a lot of it is social media and getting, um, and I guess some of that might add up to, maybe what I would call brand loyalty or something like that. I'm not sure. Um, But how do you kind of view the way people will consume stuff with the the team? Well, it won't be the same as it is today. That I will tell you. Right. The idea of a 19-year-old sitting down and watching from tip to whistle at the end. Right. Isn't probably going to happen. Right. So I do think there are some powerful engagement tools coming. I think sports gambling is one of them. Sports gambling will be on the docket at the Georgia legislature very soon, Mm -hmm. virtually timed when this comes out in the next few days. And 34 states have approved it. Mm -hmm. It needs to be approved in Georgia, and hopefully it will, because gambling in Georgia now is a billion and a half dollar industry, all done in the shadows. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, Calvin Ridley couple of weeks ago got exposed for gambling if it wasn't because he gambled legally Mm -hmm. they never would have known that Mm -hmm. an nfl player was gambling Mm -hmm. and because he was gambling on a through a legitimate app it was flagged and he was caught Mm -hmm. and that's all we're talking about is get it out of the shadows put it into the light and collect tax on it Mm But we also believe that gambling is an important engagement tool because it's not like the back of a barber shop 30 years ago. I'll take the Hawks minus seven. <laughs> you know, it's will Trey Young hit a three in the third quarter? Mm-hmm. And it's micro bets, a dollar, two dollars. Mm-hmm. And it's all done through your phone. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, you know, off track betting parlors popping up all over Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think that is a major engagement tool that's coming for younger generation. There's a company called Buzzer. I don't know if you've heard of Mm-mm, them. No. 
for 99 cents, you can buy the last two minutes of a game. Interesting. So they're pretty nascent. It's an app. Mm-hmm. Um, they just made a deal with FanDuel that if you have a bet on the team, it'll give you a prompt and tell you your teams in the last two minutes and you're winning or losing. Mm-hmm. But I think things like buzzer are going to be, I think people will buy the last two minutes of a basketball game. Mm-hmm. For us, it's figuring out how do we create the gamification? How do we create broadcasts that play around the world? This is truly, and soccer, the two global games. Mm -hmm. And so in the U.S., I still think, look, I'm always going to subscribe to cable. My peers are going to subscribe to cable. Your parents are going to subscribe to cable. So it's going to be a combination, not an absolute. Mm -hmm. But I think a combination of streaming, a combination of just-in-time, a combination with highlights on TikTok, a combination. I mean, how cool would it be? We have 35 Intel cameras in the building. I can watch an entire game through Trey Young's eyes mm-hmm. from that perspective. How cool would it be to go on Trey's Instagram and watch a game? Right, right, know, right, right, right. For two ninety nine. And a lot of the social media stuff, that's where a lot of younger people are going to now. Yeah, and I think the innovation has to happen. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, shame on us. I mean, one of the things that I work on and really are focused on is Hawks 2.0. We needed a new arena. We needed a great practice facility. We needed a G League team. We needed, you know, to reinvent downtown. Those Mm -hmm. were called the core four, and we checked those boxes. In episode 22, assistant GM Landry Fields gives us an inside look at the Hawks front office. I want to ask about the dynamics of the Hawks front office, because I get a lot of questions about this. I think it's something people are so curious about in terms of how you guys collaborate when it comes to, like we were just talking about, you mentioned you were doing stuff with like the draft and looking at prospects, but Mm -hmm. then, you know, obviously we've got the plan tournament looming. So you're balancing it with day-to-day stuff. There's like salary cap stuff to look at. There's just so much. I mean, I could list like 30 things. There's so much going on at all times. How do you guys work together to kind of make this thing go? Well, Travis has done a great job, in my opinion, of hiring the right people first, right? Like, you have to entrust all those things that you just said (laughs) to a number of different people who make up a number of different departments because this whole thing is really just a team of teams to steal General General McChrystal's book. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have to set the gatherings and the meetings and the collaboration to be intentional about that to ask, you know, Michelle Lefwich or Ryan Silverstein, like, hey, We have stuff going on with the cap right now. What's that look like in our future? Tax implications, not just with the Hawks, but with the whole NBA at large. And then you're cross-examining that with, you know, Dwight and Max who run our analytics department. um, And how does that connect with each other? So just being intentional about um, those different spaces and then leaning on and trusting in their first filter or their lens, which is just, you know, their first role and responsibility to organization. Um, and then just trying to connect the dots. So a lot of it is trust and leveraging other people's skills that you might not be great at yourself, um, but then also being a promoter of collaboration and communicating. And then hopefully that brings alignment and we make good decisions because at the end of the day, that's where we rise and fall. <laughs> right, right, right. So as an assistant GM, like, do you have, I guess, quote unquote, a, a specific focus, like something that you're looking at throughout the whole year? Or is it because I know you're also involved in roster building, uh-huh. you know, I don't know if this is like too broad or too narrow a question, I guess. Is there like one thing you're, you know, focusing on or is it like everything? Um. Like for you, for you specifically. 
Give me uh, your job description. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it depends. It depends on the day. I feel like I have many hats. Uh-huh. Um, I do think that there are primary roles though. Uh, Travis, even in the quote you mentioned, it is trying to build connection with players. Relationships. Relationships, mm-hmm. absolutely. Being the relationship guy, I yeah, guess. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but that's just, that's that's everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. But th- my biggest background is in scouting. You know, yeah. it is looking at the amateur ranks from high school to college to overseas and trying to figure out the draft process. And then how does that tie into professional scouting, like guys that you'd want to trade for, free agents, um, and the like. So... Those, I would say, are probably primary, but then it comes down to just um, seeing needs or just seeing different, I guess you could say, factors that may need addressing where we can celebrate those and affirm those. And then also like, well, hey, let's try something new here. What's a different operating system or process we can implement with this specific department that may be beneficial to all of us at large? And um, those areas in particular, I I really am fond of. I love anything culture-wise or development uh, and leaning on other people's eyes and perspectives because I'll be the first to admit, like, I, I got blind spots. So I look in the mirror, I can't see the back of my head. So you got to tell me what's going on back there. It's the same thing in any organizations. If we can do the hard work and have the humility to understand, like, we don't, we just, there's things that we don't know. So I need your eyes to help see myself and I need your eyes to help see this organization in a way where I might not see it. I have my own filters. We also got to meet a lot of the broadcasters, which you know very well, including legendary radio play-by-play man Steve Holman, who explained in episode 14 how his career started. How how did you flash back uh, to a while ago? How did you did you always want to work in radio? Like, was it something that when you were really little, you knew you wanted to do this? Yeah, I, I think I was about eight years old, really, when I, I first heard Johnny Most uh, in my dad's car, you know, uh, driving around and heard heard this Johnny Most I am of Courtside and uh, I thought this guy's this guy's pretty cool he's uh you know I listened to him and 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 back then they had Casey Jones and there was a there was a tv show uh a a railroad type show Casey Jones Stephen and Roland you know that was the uh and that and I, I connected like at eight years old Casey Jones you know there's Casey Jones you know and he was a big part of the team and Sam Jones and uh, I just became a fan then and uh, became a fan of Johnny Most and I just decided then I wanted to, that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, luckily it worked out because when I was in high school uh, in Lawrence, Massachusetts, where I grew up, the high school was right down the street from the radio station that Kurt Gowdy owned, the famous sportscaster Kurt Gowdy. Uh, he owned that station, so they let me go in there and practice and they put me on weekends in 1971. Uh, somebody got drafted. That was back during the, the Vietnam was just kind of winding down. And uh, I went on weekends. And then uh, that summer, uh, they called me in and Kurt Gowdy said, uh, Stevie, uh, we're going to make you full time. I said, gee, thank you, Mr. Gowdy. That's great. I was 17, you know. I, and he said, uh, yeah, it's 110 a week at all the records you can steal. I said, oh, thank you, Mr. Gowdy. And he said, and you get Blue Cross, too. <laughs> and that's how it started. And then I, the first thing I did was I got a pass to go to the Celtics games because then I had a legitimate way yes. to get a pass. So I went every night for free. I worked up my courage to introduce myself to Johnny Most. And uh, ultimately, he trusted me enough to, you know, get his English Oval cigarettes. Those were the old the cigarettes with no filters or anything. And he smoked those during the game, one after another. Uh, and I would fill up oh, his boy. thermos with coffee at halftime. And uh, then eventually what happened was he, he lost his voice in the middle of a game. 
1976, and I had to take over because they didn't have any analysts or anything then. It was just an engineer, me, and uh, Johnny, and that was it. And he said, now uh, Steve's going to uh, take over. I have a little voice problem. And he handed me the stick mic, and uh, off I went. It was a game. It was the Celtics against the Denver Nuggets. Stan Issel was playing at Bobby Jones. Those guys on that team. So that was a that was a hoot. Then I had to do a couple more weeks after that, uh, and then I got a job in Boston from that at the CBS station. Uh, and then the the guy that was my boss there came to Atlanta to start WGST, the all news station. So uh, that's when I came to Atlanta, nineteen eighty of August, and uh, been here ever since. <laughs> they can't get rid of me. In episode two, we got to meet the TV voice of the Hawks, Bob Rathbun, who took us to school on how he gets ready for a game. I've seen before games, you have, you know, your notebook, you've got all your notes, you've got your, your highlighters, your pens. How do you prepare to call a game to be ready for whatever could happen? I tell my broadcast students when I head over to Vicky's class at UGA. Hey, <laughs> Professor Vicki Michaelis, that's a little shout out for you. That's yeah. one of my former professors at UGA. Yeah. For, for In fact, I'm on a Zoom with her tomorrow. Oh, hey, tell her I say class, hi. I <laughs> And, and I, tell, I tell the kids, I said, you know, there's really, you call it prep, but it, it's really just a, sort of an ongoing thing, 365 days a year, where you're constantly looking at tape and reading AJC stories. And, hey, you know, subscribe but to the AJC, everybody. Yeah, as I do. Ooh. And you, you kind of put it away for the time you need it. Okay, so that preparation is ongoing. The books you read and the magazine article, all that stuff, the stuff online goes in the file. And I've got a file on every team and, you know, just keep adding to it. But what you're talking about is game specific. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, I put a clock on it once because a student asked me to, it usually takes me somewhere between eight and 12 hours to get ready for one game for one game. Wow. Yeah. By the time you update the stats, the notes, the articles, you watch the video on the team. That's, a third of it. The other third is knowing my television responsibilities. So that's where Jill and I, our producer, Jill Gossard-Cook, and I talk about what we want to say on the air, what we want to do on the air, what elements, what billboards i got to read, all the, yeah. the nuts and bolts of the broadcast. That's a third of it. And the other third of it is the, the, the officiating, the rules of the game. That's a lot. It is. That because is Because if you noticed last lot. night, we had another hairy one with the end of the third quarter. Oof. And you kind of have to know, you know, what it is. The, the thing about broadcasting that's so different and doing a game from just about any other part of media that covers the NBA is that there's no eraser on this microphone. <laughs> there's no backspace. There's no backspace on this microphone. No whiteout. So you, you've got the mic when it happens. And people are looking to you for answers. People are like, like, what the heck Mm -hmm. happened? It's not the analyst. It's not the sideline reporter. It's It's the play-by-play. And so you're constantly, at least I am, constantly refreshing the rules knowledge and asking questions. And we have a guy here, you've met, Don Vaden. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who worked in the league office for 30 years and now works with our team and our guys about how best to play the game, knowing what the officials are looking for. And he's been an invaluable resource, not only to me, but to Travis and the Nate oh, the and, new and foul the rule. Um, the yep. new foul rule. He talked to them about that. Yeah, exactly. So I'm in constant contact with Don. You know, what about this play? What about this? How should this have been called? What, whatever. So three different buckets, you know, to get ready for a game. But I think it's 
Sarah, in a way, it's it's the fun part of this. It's the challenge of it mm. is to know who these players are on the other team. I mean, obviously, you're going to know our guys, but yeah. <laughs> but the challenge of the Hawks is to keep it fresh. You know, everybody, the diehard Hawks fans who watch every game and read every one of your stories. They know the guys. Mm -hmm. So what can you tell them that they don't know? You can't say the same thing every single time about Trey Young because they know Trey. They know what Trey is doing. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But I also want to know about the other team. So I work the NBA two weeks out. So it's just sort of that ongoing prep. Now, COVID, of course, affected and sidelined almost everybody associated with the Hawks this winter, which includes Bob. Matt met Bally Sports sideline reporter Lauren Jabara had one of the wildest nights of her career from episode 12. So tell me about, if you don't mind, the time when you were thrust into play-by-play. <laughs> yes. When Bob w- went into uh, health COVID and safety protocols. protocols. Yes. I remember Bob just like, because I, I was at that game in Philly, and like Bob just gets kind of like pulled away, and you're like, where's the, where are they taking Bob? And then, and then like you kind of had to just, it was like, this was like minutes before the game. Mm-hmm. 27 like, minutes before the game, to be exact. <laughs> Not that I was counting. Minutes. It was 6.33 p.m. and it was a 7 p.m. tip-off against, <laughs> against Philly. And I remember texting Phil. He's our EVS in the truck. And... I was like, oh, blah, blah, blah. Here's this like picture for this story that I was going to tell. It was, you know, a story of like Trey Young walking on a treadmill because I think he was in COVID protocol all the time. And he was walking on the treadmill with like the Hawks playing on his TV. And I'm like, put this on. We're going to do a hit on this in game. Like right. show like Trey's like still staying in shape when he's in, pro- in protocol at his house. Um, and Phil goes, love that video. We got a bigger fish to fry at the moment. And I'm oh. like, oh, what, what is this fish that we're talking about? Is it salmon? Is it steelhead trout? Like, what fish are we talking about? And so all of a sudden he goes, Bob just tested positive for COVID. Um, he has to leave the building. He goes, you ready to do play-by-play? And I texted him back, and I'm like, yeah, for sure. Like joking around, like, haha, like, yeah, definitely ready to do play by play. In your head, you're like, it's not a fish. It's I a know. whale. Yeah. <laughs> this, is like, like, this is definitely, this is a whole beluga whale at yeah. this point. Um, and so I was like, okay, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, haha, you're joking. He goes, Lauren, I'm being serious. Dot, dot, dot. Jill's, Jill, our producer, Jill Cook, is coming out to talk to you right now. And I'm like, I think right in that moment, like you walked by me or something, and my face—I I don't know you my were, face, like, but just like what you—you you kind of gripped the sides of. I just see you, and you're like gripping the sides <laughs> of your chair, and I'm like, what? Just like what's going on with Lauren? <laughs> and, and then that, I remember walking by, and you were like, "They're—they're they're making me. I got to do play by play." I was like, "Where's Ashton Kutcher? I am getting punked right yes, now. This is not yes. real." Because I feel like it was it was just happening so quickly. It was 27 minutes to tip off. I was like trying to get just my thoughts together. I was just, you know, it's just going from one thing to completely doing something else. And I've never done play-by-play before in my life. Not a yeah. single time. But it was such a fun, incredible experience. And Neek was actually in COVID protocol at the time, too, because he had close contact, a family member, and tested positive or whatever. So he wasn't even on that trip. And so I was doing it with Brian Oliver. And Brian helped to, like, hold my hand and carry me through all right so that's a look back at just some of the best stories that we've heard on our first season here at the hawks report and if you have not done so first of all thank you for listening but please rate review follow share and subscribe to help us grow this show and we will have more content coming up here this offseason on the hawks report from the atlanta journal constitution
Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com.